0: The only thing that matters is that we build a product that actually helps people. And if we do a good job with that and they were willing to pay for it. And if, if they're willing to pay for it as sufficient enough, people do that. That gives us the option to, you know, go public, for example. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Selvin.
1: Job, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for having me. You're the co-founder and CEO at Remote.com, the world's fastest growing employer of record. Before we talk about that impressive story, I actually want to start with your personal background. You studied psychonomics and cognitive neuroscience at university. That's not a really common background for an entrepreneur. So what drew you to study in that field and how has it actually shaped you?
0: Yeah, I I started study you know when I st- chose for the study I, I, I chose psychology and then I specialized in psychonomics which comes from nomos meaning law right psychology is logos like the the words of of the psyche and, the, and nomos is like the law of the mind um, and and the reason I, I specialized in that because I was just interested in, in like understanding not necessarily the output of the brain which is what psychology is but like the rules of the brain which is how does the brain function and therefore I, I specialized in um, in neuroscience, um, I, I, I'm not sure. What, like, I thought it was interesting, right? Like, I think if you understand how the brain works, not, not just in, like, high level, but, like, if you understand how the brain works to the point that you can replicate it, you can make it, like, 0.1% better and use that to, like, you know... Create a super genius machine which uh, would could solve a lot of problems. That was sort of my starting point, my assumption. Um, I quickly learned that we don't know how the brain works at all. Like we're very far from understanding that. So, um, yeah.
1: So it was more of a realization than uh you know too many deep
0: learnings in that regard. <laughs> I mean, I learned a lot. Like, I think doing anything will teach you a lot. But um, but also that, yeah, like science is tough, is hard, and we don't really understand how the brain works at all. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> and after university, you then worked as a software engineer while simultaneously also building your own startup called Jackson's. How do you manage your time back then doing two things at the same time?
0: Oh, I mean, I was—I uh, didn't have kids, uh, so I had all the time in the world to do that. I just worked 100% of the time. Actually, I—I I left, so I, I left my PhD program in neuroscience to start a startup, which failed, which I, is not linked uh, listed on LinkedIn. But um, that failed. And Then I worked as a software engineer, and I built Yaxons, a, a Yuxon, so our, our little startup where we did some other stuff, and I built a whole bunch of other stuff. I just—I—I I, I never met... It. I never listed it anything because it never uh, made any money. And this one made some money, but it it was just a matter of I I was always working. That's it. (laughs) Like, there's no, how did I manage my time? I slept seven hours and the rest of the time I worked. That's it.
1: That's, yeah, quite a clear structure and and a clear priority in life. Tell us about the first startup that didn't work out and also Yaxons. What what sort of did it take away from your first entrepreneurial experiences?
0: The first one I started with Marcelo, who's also my current co-founder at Remote, um, and we wanted to build something that would help you find a job you love, which is very similar to what we do today. Uh, but we had no money, and so I just—you know—we we, we had great intentions, but we ran out of money before we could um, realize anything. So I had to look for a job, uh, which is when I started working as a software engineer. Um, but I I did a million things and was one of them um, and and there were many others. Marcel and I built a whole bunch of apps and things. Um, I think, you know, the main thing that I took away from it, one, is that I really enjoyed the process, right? Of building something, doing something exciting, like trying to figure out how to do this startup thing. Like, where do you begin? How do you do that? Like, and also just, you know, getting in the practice of, of doing all of these things and and, and getting comfortable with that idea. Um, besides just, you know, enjoying the fact of of doing that. Like, I always had to wish, I just never gave up doing it, right? And I, I think... I learned a million and one lessons. One, one of the most important ones being is, you know, the age-old uh, talk to your customers. Um, even if you don't have a product, that's a, that's a pretty important one. And a bunch of others. Like, we, I, at one point, we built software at options for homeowner associations, um, which I, I quickly learned was that building the software was not, was not the difficult part, but, like, the audience, the addressable market was absolutely awful. Like it's just like the worst audience, the worst market there is. Because these are people that are they are not focused on this, and if they are, they're like extremely picky, demanding customers that don't want to spend anything. It's the worst possible customer you would have. So uh, yeah, it was a big lesson. Don't build anything for homeowners' associations.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, many big learnings along the way. I wonder where does your entrepreneurial drive initially come from? Did he have you know parents who inspired you, or? who actually motivated you to go down the entrepreneurial path? Was that always in you?
0: I don't know. I never wanted to work for somebody else. That for sure helped. Um, Yeah. My parents, uh, my father worked at the same company for 45 years, I believe. And my mother was, her, was a primary school teacher entire, her entire life. So although they are amazing people, they're definitely not entrepreneurs. No, no, nothing in particular. I just never wanted to work for somebody else. And I was always ambitious and wanting to do my own thing. So I think that's it. Amazing.
1: So yeah, let's talk about remote.com. You founded the company in 2019 together with Marcelo, who we already mentioned before. Where did you actually meet your co-founder? Was that during one of your stays in Portugal?
0: Yeah, no, uh, sort of. So my wife is Portuguese and uh she had a friend and her the boyfriend of her friend uh is Marcelo. So <laughs> that's how. So we met. So I was in I was studying in Portugal and I um and we just went out. I went out with a friend of Carla, my wife, and uh and it was Gita and Gita's husband uh is Marcelo. That's it. Well, we started talking, you know, as you do if you're introduced by a partner to someone else. And uh, yeah, we were both nerds, so that, that we got along really well.
1: What happened then? So you you met during a night out. You see, hey, this is a cool guy that that, that you both thought that both a bit nerds. What happened then? How did you then start to build stuff to work together?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I think we just expressed the same want of wanting to ro- build our own stuff. And uh, I guess we just started. <laughs> I think it was as simple as that. We had this idea for this company. And we're like, okay, let's do it. Let's let's start working on it. And then we did. Uh, it was never... I, it, I don't remember it being like particularly... Oh, uh, I left my science career and I was living on money that I borrowed from my parents, which wasn't very much. Um, we just lived... Like that, like I just I just did it, and uh, we just tried, and then when it didn't work out, I looked for a job elsewhere. But uh, yeah, we just started building things. And we were we became really good friends really quickly. So yeah, there was no uh, it wasn't a momentous thing. It was just you know kind of natural. We both want to build cool stuff, so we did.
1: Were you ever afraid along that journey, you know, when you basically didn't have a lot of money and you were also depending on your parents to a certain degree because you were still building stuff, right? But there was not that much money coming in from customers, etc. Were you ever afraid of not making it or not being able to pay the bills at the end?
0: No, no. I was I mean, look, my my parents are not rich, so but I I knew that I was I could just find another job. And I knew that I You know, I'm in control of my own faith. So I can, if I need to, I need I I find another job if I see that the money was running out, which is what happened. And I was living with my wife. We were earning no money whatsoever in in Portugal. So yeah, I actually found a job in Anela, so I had to move. But I, you know, I, I had a dog. So I had one dependent beyond my wife, but my wife was taking care of herself just fine. And so, uh, no, yeah, I was never worried about that. I'm, I'm still not. But not, now I have two kids. Now I have like a sense of responsibility, right? So, you know, if I, um, if I, if I was really depending on a salary, and and then I would be probably uh, le- more risk averse. But back then, you know, I was young. I had nothing to lose. So um, it's the perfect place to be if you want to do these kind of things.
1: I also wonder, what makes you work as a team, Marcel and you? How did you split your roles and responsibility if any such thing ever happened?
0: Yeah, yeah, we did. I, Marcel is technically much stronger than I am. Uh, so he does that and I catch everything else. Although that said, I in our projects, I usually did the front end of whatever we did and he did the back end. Um, but uh, above all, Marcel and I, we just enjoy building cool stuff and we have no ego between the two of us. Uh, and that makes it very easy because then uh, you just do whatever's necessary, and that's what we did back then. And it's still what we do today when we run remote is that there's no ego there. We have a formal role, and it's good to have that established. Um, but also, there's no ego between us. We completely trust each other. We disagree regularly daily, but um yeah, we just we just both trust that the other person will do their best, do what is best for the company, and it works really well. And uh, yeah, if you just trust each other's abilities, just get shit done, then uh, you'll you'll be fine.
1: I, I especially like the no ego part. I think that's a crucial success factor to make or to to work very well together.
0: Yeah, it makes a huge difference, and the, it really is you know the secret of how we work together. It's just there's no there's no ego because the moment you let it go, everything becomes so much easier because you can have a conflict, but it's not about you know being right. It's not about gaining something in the end, um it's just about you know doing what is best at the end of the day, and so like that is always what we'll do, so yeah, works really well, yeah, we never have any actual conflicts yeah
1: and why where does this interest in remote work come from? I mean, you said before the first startup that you were working on um you wanted to help people find their dream job, so you have some past there um that you built together. But you actually became interested in remote work pre-pandemic, which is, you know, quite a, a strong call before the pandemic hit.
0: Yeah, um, it, I was working at GitLab before. <laughs> so, that was a, so GitLab was a fully distributed company. So right before I joined GitLab, I was working as a software engineer in a company where I had to travel an hour and a half By train to get there. And that is when the trains were running. Um, And so I had to go to the train station. And then if the trains are running, and if I'm on time, then it's an hour and a half in the train. Uh, And then I could start work. uh, And so often it would be much longer than that, which was the, Pain. And then I joined GitLab and GitLab was fully remote from day one. And I saw how incredibly well this worked. Right. Like the things that I felt when I was working in that software job, which was, you know, why do I travel all this day to then sit behind a computer, you know, the whole day? Which is by the way, I worked in the train to and from work doing the same job. And I was just as productive, arguably even more productive, because I had to stay sitting in the train. Um and so uh, at GitLab, I realized, well, actually, this whole thesis of you don't have to be in an office to get work done—it kind of works out. In fact, it works incredibly well, much better than a typical office. So um, that that definitely inspired like the 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 good feelings for remote work at least. And then you know, of course, at GitLab, we struggled with the problem that we now solve with remote.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. So remote is an employer of record. Can you explain to us a bit more? what that actually is and and what the benefits are that you actually solve, the problem that you solve
0: for your clients. Yeah, it's very straightforward. If you want to hire someone that is in a different country than your business is, um, you need an employer of record. And so that's what we do. You come to us, you say, I want to hire Jane. I have a company maybe in the Netherlands, but Jane is in Germany. Then, well, Remote has a German entity and we can hire Jane for you. Uh, And then her... uh, Basically, might say remote, but in reality, she works for you, uh, and that's a legal thing, like that's a proper, established thing. And it's difficult because we have to manage payroll, we have to manage benefits and compliance, and everything else that comes with it, uh, which makes it a hard thing to build. Um, but if it works, it's uh, it's pretty magical because it saves you a lot of overhead of ha- having to set up a German entity and understanding all the things you have to do there in that country. And we do that for, you know, many countries around the world, most countries.
1: I think it's it's very impressive because if you look at these laws, not only from a legal perspective, how to hire someone, but also from a tax perspective, it's so different, you know, country by country and can be so complicated. How do you reduce that complexity? Because that's a very big problem to solve.
0: Yeah, I I think when it, when I started out, my vision was like, we're going to make all of this disappear, right? So it becomes invisible to you. What, what we learned while we were building a remote is that you don't actually want to make it invisible. You want to make it understandable or, you know, at least uh, almost consumable to a degree. And so the first thing we do is we make, we take away all the bureaucratic mess. So as much as there, there's a lot of bureaucracy necessary to be able to employ someone in different countries. And so we try to reduce that, take it away where possible, automate it where possible, um so that's that's one large part of it, and then in all of that, you can solve a lot of the bureaucratic needs already, right? I think instead of having someone to think about what to fill out in a form, you can tell them, well, this is what we're going to do because this is what is best for you, you know instead of having them to think about how, what kind of contract should I have we said this is the contract we agree or that we suggest that you can make changes to it, but like this will protect you and the individual best. Um, that is a really good way to to go about it. And that's what we try to do. But at the same time, we find that, yeah, we do want to explain some things, right? Like you have to understand how does it work with time off in a country. And so what we do is we try to create a lot of documentation to that, uh, for that. And whenever you need something, whenever you do something related to time off, we give you the right information necessary to make decisions in that moment, be that as an employer or as an employee.
1: Yeah great I, I we also use it ourselves in in our company, so we're very happy with the service and what are the legal risks for companies if they decide to do that on their own versus using your service? I think there's a big difference in terms of not only monetary effort but also time and potential legal effort behind it
0: yeah yeah i mean i, I you know i I encapsulate all of that by saying overhand, but it is a lot indeed so. Setting up your own entity is a um, is a thing you have to take very seriously. You know this because you have an entity already in the country which you are incorporated, right? Which means that you have to pay taxes somehow, right? Or at least report to the taxes in a certain way. It means that you have to operate compliantly as an organization, right? This is beyond just labor laws. This is like, what does your company do? Why does it do it? And what? And how does it relate to the original, the parent company if you have one? Um. So you have all those things, and, and and those all have requirements and regular intervals of reporting and everything that comes with that. And then you have to employ someone, which is like, no, now you have to think about labor laws and how does that work. And how you have to think about, you know, what can I do, what can't I do, how does it work, how can I make someone work in this country, what do I have to give them, what do I have to provide to them? Um, and then, given all of that, you also have to provide them with, you know, you know uh, salary, uh, you have to be able to run payroll for them, and then you have to provide them with benefits as well. Uh, So that's a lot. Uh, And it's different for every country. It's completely different. From experience, I can tell you, it's completely different for every country in the world. And so the overhead that comes with all of that is quite significant. Um, We're not in the first... At remote, we're not the first company in the world to try to solve this, right? There are many service providers to do this for you, but they're very expensive. Even if you have a, your own entity, And so it's expensive, but it's expensive in time. It has significant overhead, and it's really hard to balance all of this. You know, and it, I, I think one of the biggest challenges you have to see is that in an ideal scenario, you hire someone and they are happy, and nothing ever goes wrong, and then you leave your they leave your organization at some point, and that's that's the best scenario, right? But more often than not, something happens. It can be something good. The person gets a new job or they get like a competitor or whatever, wanting to hire them or I don't know, like something good or they get a baby, for example. It's all good news, but you have to handle all those situations or bad, bad things, right? And that makes this extra difficult because how do you handle all of that? You're not an expert in that local country, so, but you want to be able to respond quickly to whatever is happening in that moment. No, we are experts in this stuff. So for us, for us it's very easy to handle. Oh, very easy. It's doable to handle these kind of things. Um, but for you, if you're a novice in this country, of you know what happens if someone you know steals from my company when they're working for me in this particular country, yeah, going can be very difficult.
1: So we see doing that all on your own, especially from a startup's perspective, might be a huge overkill. So it's a very good idea to collaborate with you. At the same time, how do you as Remote.com? Differentiate, or also, you know, deal with potential competitors or substitutes. Or ask differently: What do you do better, and how can you offer more competitive rates than the traditional accountants in a specific country that would do the same service for you?
0: Yeah, there, there, there's a whole number of things that we do, um, I, but they all come from the same philosophy, which is that. We want to build the best product there is for these kind of things. We want to make it incredibly easy to just hire and pay people independent of where they are. And how can you make something easy? Well, the first thing, it has to be understandable. And so it can't be opaque. It can't require you to constantly call us and email us to get information. We should be serving you information. The other one is that it should be fast. It should be quick and easy. And traditionally, these companies are pure services, And for many of these service providers, they have many external dependencies. And that means that nothing is quick because you have to email or phone someone and that person has to be available. But also if there's other people involved and there's all these dependencies, these third parties that they require, then it becomes a telephone game where, you know, you want something, you call your provider, they call somebody else and it goes down the whole chain. And so that's not quick nor easy. And so what we do is we own everything ourselves. That's step one. But if you own everything yourself, that's not sufficient, right? Like that, that, that doesn't actually help you. Then we operate our own, um, our own infrastructure. We run all our services ourselves. Now, we have we, so, with that, we solve the telephone problem, but we're still not necessarily quick in doing so, right? And so how do we make it quick? Do we make it quick by building really great software that automates all these things. And so that means that, you know, if you go to any of our competitors, you want to onboard someone in a country like Germany or the UK, it can take... Anywhere between, you know, a few weeks to maybe uh, a few months with us, as long as everybody is like ready to fill out their information and have their, their data with them, you can do it in like 30 minutes or so. Um, and, and that's the difference. And that's because we built really good software to solve all of this.
1: So technology software is basically your leverage to automate and to be cheaper and faster than any other solution out there.
0: That's it that's it it's not it's not software any software it's the software specifically that we built and that we continue to build every single day
1: yeah before we were talking about the legal risk right so you do solve a very pressing problem of any company wanting to go abroad now i imagine that just you know thinking about potential risks that some countries might also see that your services that you're providing can be sort of not accepted by their, these governments that they say, well, you're on the payroll, but technically it's the, the, the other company employing them. Do you have any legal challenges or risks that you see in that regard from countries not accepting or not welcoming the setup that you provide?
0: We only operate in places where we see, and we are certain that we are not at risk. The individual is not at risk and the, and the actual employer is not at risk. Um, but certainly some countries give us a hard time to get to that point. And then we tend to just work with local governments to try to find a way to to make this work. But there's no situation in which we would operate in a country and it wouldn't be allowed. Um, we've, we luckily have the advantage of having done this now in 70 or so countries. So we can go to new countries and say, like, this is how we do it elsewhere. And this is how, you know, um, and that certainly helps. But there are some countries in the world where... You know, it it will probably be, be very difficult, or we m- might have chosen to like postpone opening up there. But generally, we find that it's doable. It's doable with effort uh, anywhere in the world. It's not, um, it's 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 not without challenges. But I I think if you think about like countries and laws and and and, and taxes, which is you know we are in the interplay of all of those things in the end, we're doing something that's beneficial for the country, right? Because we tend to bring in more tax money for the for the country. And so, although you might be hitting walls on the lower levels, you know, on the people that have to uphold the letter of the law, when you actually talk to the lawmakers, they understand this very well. And You get to a point where it becomes much easier to say, well, you know, yes, your laws were not designed for this, and we don't fit the mold that you created. But actually, you know, us operating our country is tax-wise, a massive benefit because there will be hundreds of thousands of people that are now paying much more tax because they have much higher uh, earnings to us.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So the incentives in that regard are actually really you know, aligned in that regard that you help the countries to thrive and to make more money. And that's a very good incentive to play along with. Yeah. I also want to talk about your very impressive growth journey. So you scale to unicorn status in like no time, it feels. So obviously when you grow that quickly, you also face operational and growth challenges, right? So let's first start with hiring culture and also internal communication. When you grow from a few people, you know, that you start out with to, I don't know how many employees you have today, but I guess more than thousands. um, That takes a lot of change in the organization so first of all, how did you hire that many people in such a short amount of time?
0: Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I wonder that myself sometimes, too. I think um, there's a few things we did well. Like, operationally, how do you hire that many people? Being a strong brand and having a clear presence on the internet helps. I mean, very clear about what you offer. If you say that you're a remote organization and you pay well, you'll have no problem finding people, right? (laughs) That that, that problem is instantly solved because everybody wants to work for a remote organization. And so, you know, the next step is, is, well, then assuming you have all these roles open, you have a clear process of doing this, um, and you have a team of recruiters that can actually interview them, uh, then what remains is like figuring out how to onboard people quickly. And like, that's a matter of iteration and treating it like a product, right? So, with us you know we there's a lot of automated onboarding stuff that we do and there's a lot that uh, ties to the values that we set for our company and the way that we believe that you know how you should start to understand the company um so that that that's how yeah I, i could talk about this for hours but in essence that's that's really how it is and i think for for a large part of this you know we had a Pretty strong brand, and we were really clear about what we were offering and what we were expecting from individuals, right? Alignment with our values, um, very clear kind of job descriptions, and you can go pretty fast.
1: How do you actually build or invest in in your brand as a good employer? I mean, of course, offering the remote option and a good salary are you know parts of it, but what else did he do to also transform and, and, and actually? share that message to the people that they actually know about that offering.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's many ways, but I, I think one of the cheat codes is like having a public handbook like we have, which is, this is how we run our company. This is how we communicate with each other. Um, this is, you know, how it, how it is to work for us. And, and if those things are positive, that's going to help a lot. And then you just talk about it, right? You just tweet about it. You talk about it on like social media. Um, that That's a pretty good start. And in our case, you know, it aligns very much with what we are doing and with something we were already talking about. Um, and so if you say, well, if you join us, you get unlimited vacation days, but not the thing where it's a trap, but actually have a minimum number <laughs> of vacation days. And then you should just free be to take a day off. And, you know, there's no working times so and we don't actually spy on you. Like this already puts us apart from so many organizations, right? Like the bar is, is really low in that sense. Um if you, if, you, if you establish all those things, then, yeah, you're going to go pretty fast.
1: I see. And once you then hire and onboard all the people, right, you still have a culture. You mentioned values that are very important to you that you share before that. But how do you actually take care of the culture part when you're then growing so fast to not make any false compromises along the way and still purposefully build and shape the culture by growing fast at the same time?
0: yeah I think you know there's a few things one is, is is setting being very clear about the values and making sure you embed those in everything that you do from you know onboarding to to performance management to just day to day things right um that's a really important one um if if you keep repeating those that will become part of the company the other the rest is essentially just making sure people talk with each other. And that solves all of your culture. Right? And, and in a remote organization, making sure people talk with each other is just by creating a lot of opportunities for them to opt in to get to know uh, their colleagues better. Um, but that really is it. Um, and yeah. then just not be like, our first value is kindness. So it's really easy. It's just don't be an asshole to each other and then you'll be fine. Um, you, you, you don't have to do anything else. Like Like it's... People talk about company culture, but the reality is, is what people really want is they just want to be, you know, they want to do their job. They want to be challenged. They want to have an impact and they don't want to feel like that they're in an environment where they constantly have to have their guard up, right? And part of that is just being kind to each other. Um, and the other one is just treating each other like adults. And so if you, if your only company value is treat each other like adults, you, you will be fine. Like, like you'll be fine. Like being unkind, I think is not being an adult. Um, So uh, yeah, that's it.
1: I love that. It's very simple, but still so many companies fail at actually doing and implementing that. So I would like to also see and, and take a closer look behind the scenes, behind the remote operating system. You said you have to create chances for people to opt in, to have conversations, a certain serendipity, so to speak. So how do you actually do that? How is your operating system set up? How do you communicate at remote to to make that happen to make that reality?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think how do we communicate is a very different thing than how do we make sure people actually talk with each other, right? I, um, I I can address them separately, but like how to actually get people to talk to each other is just by creating a lot of opportunities, and those actual opportunities are um, one having. Automated coffee calls, right? If you join a company, you have to meet with 10 people that you don't know and then just have a 30-minute chat with them. Um, It's by having many moments throughout the week to hang out with each other. Um, It's by encouraging people to use tools like um, uh, audio-only rooms where you can hang out together. Um, Those kind of things. I, I actually think that not that much is necessary because people tend to, especially in larger organizations, a small organization, you all get together because you're small and it's easy. In larger organization, people tend to um, self-organize to to pretty strong degree, especially if there's a lot of work to do and it it's complex and hard work. Um, you end up spending a lot of time with your colleagues, which also gives you more opportunity to say, oh, let's you know hang out or find out that we have shared interests and do something related to that. I, I don't actually think you need to do too much as an organization, as long as you set really clear lines of like, this is how we expect you to behave. Uh, and that is done through those values. And those values are, they come back. They come back in performance review. They come back in when we talk about how we want to do things as an organization, how we want to change things, for example. Um, but other than that, people just self-organize, and like the actual tools we use are the tools that everybody uses, right? It's Zoom and Slack and whatever else.
1: No. And the other part, the second part that you
0: mentioned. Well, how we communicate. I think the most um, the thing that we that is different about how we communicate is that we try to be asynchronous first, and that just means you write stuff down. And so, you know, everybody uses a project management tool, but what happens very often is that you have, you know, let's say uh, tickets or whatever in your project management tool that move across. And then and then what you do is you sit down together and you discuss them, right, like in a meeting. And we just try to avoid those meetings and just having those discussions written down. That's it. And there's not much more to it. It's pretty straightforward. You just write stuff down. Uh, we use Slack very actively, which is somewhere between synchronous and asynchronous, Um we use Notion very actively. Um, but again, we just write stuff down and then we make sure to link to things and we make sure that there's an established single source of truth of any piece of information so that there's not five different pages that we talk about, you know, these are, this is how we do benefits in a particular country, for example. Yeah, right. Um, but that's it.
1: Is the single source of truth, in, in your case, do you use a Notion for that or what? what is your single source of truth? Yeah,
0: no, so a sing- like any piece of information has a single source of truth, right? So Notion is just a database of, of stuff, right? And so for some information, its notion is a single source of truth. But for example, if you are working on, we use GitLab, it's, it's my former employer and it's, it's a pretty good tool. If you are working on a particular feature, um, then the progress of the feature, the single source of truth of that, is in GitLab uh, and not anywhere else. Because that's where the code is. That's where the conversation happens about how you're implementing this. If it's about our design, it's in Figma. You know, it, like that. But, so it's not that our single source of truth is Notion. No, Notion is a tool that contains a bunch of information. That information, you know, the single source of truth for that type of information is there. But for others, it's elsewhere.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a good yeah thing to to mention here. Uh, one last part when it comes to hiring and growing the culture is also your organizational structure. How does it look like today and how has that changed from the early days? Because I can imagine you probably also needed to have a stronger and broader leadership team. You probably also have some middle leadership or management layer in place. So how do you organize remote.com today versus when you were starting out?
0: Yeah, when you're starting out, it doesn't really matter what you do, right? Like if you're very strongly, until you're like 25, 30 people or something, you can do whatever. It doesn't matter because you're so small. You can just, you know, everybody, everybody knows you, so you just figure it out. Um, as you start to grow, I think what is important is that every person has a manager that can help them, you know, do better make sure that they are doing well in every aspect. Um, and so the only way you can have a good manager, is if that manager doesn't have too many reports. And so that's how the organization scales, which is the moment you have like eight people, they should report to one person. And if there's then too many people, you make it two managers, right? So you go from one person with eight reports to one with four and one with five, for example, is the moment you add a... Um, and then you can internally promote, or you can hire externally. And you keep doing that as the organization grows. And that's the point at which we are now, which is that, you know, we have a pretty traditional C-level, which is I'm the CEO, uh, my co-founder's COO, and, you know, I have the CRO, the chief product officer, um, and, and finance and legal and such reporting to me. And then operationally spread across a few verticals. And all those are, you know, so it's the C-level, VPs, directors, managers, individual contributors. Um, and depending on the size of the organization it might be slightly different or there might be more or less hierarchy. Got it. Now let's talk about
1: the other challenge or part of growth, fundraising. Usually, you know, startups also require some funds to actually grow fast and capture the market, especially as in your case, you know, where you have to do quite an upfront investment to do the legal setup, the organizational setup. So, what role did raising funds play for you to get to the size and to the unicorn status where you are today?
0: Well, the unicorn status is the, determined by how much we raised, right? At which valuation? So it is very directly one-on-one. No, like we would not have been able. We we actually when we started out the company, we knew we were at one point at a crossroad where we said we're either going to raise money and do this thing, which is what we did, what we built today, or we're going to take it slow and build things that slowly monetize and start to build up over time. Uh, and so, yeah, we ended up where we are today because of the the, the reason that we raised. And it was pretty, uh, pretty instrumental. We would not have been able to build this this fast without raising money. I think, you know, today we would have been without raising money in a very different place. Uh, a lot less people.
1: Right. What, what, what sort of helped you to make that decision to raise or not to raise? What was like was there any certain aspect that was very clear to you that made you raise money?
0: No, we wouldn't be able to do what we did today. We knew that. We knew that it would be a large upfront investment and it would take a while um, and just significant amount of money to even just do it in the first place. Um, and so that that was it. Like there was no, it was either we do this or we do something entirely different that is not as expensive to do, which is a really reasonable thing to, to want to do, right? Like, um I think for us personally, the decision was like, well, we have to do this at least once, right? Like we have to do the crazy startup journey at least once. And so we did.
1: And I can imagine at the same time when you take on quite a significant amount of money and actually, you know, get to that unicorn status, that there's also more pressure. And because you're responsible for more clients, more employees, more money from other people, basically, how do you deal with with that level of in increasing pressure and responsibility by everything growing so quickly but also getting so so much bigger so quickly?
0: yeah, um, I'm not sure I, I, we just want to build something cool and the money helps. Um, <laughs> that's really that's really how we how I think about it i I think if you raise money at all, you change the game because you you have external people you know, expecting a return on whatever the money is that they gave you. Um, and so whether you raise, you know, I I, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say that it feels different to raise, you know, a small, you know, seed round of half a million or something uh, as it does to to raise, you know, less around 300 million. It doesn't really feel different, right? Like the, the, the investors are different and of course the amounts are different and the process is a little bit different, but like the feeling of it, is the same, is that it's external money where you have a responsibility to um, get a return on it. So you have to take that very seriously. And it adds a certain amount of pressure. Um, I don't necessarily feel like the pressure is more or less. I think the pressure gets more as your company grows on you personally as a leader, because the complexity becomes so much higher and your actions have such a greater ripple effect. Um, But the money raising in itself, that feels the same.
1: Okay. And how do you plan to, to you know, deliver that return? I mean, your business model is subscription-based, so it's like a compounding interest effect that is kicking in there, right? The more employees, the more tiers you can sell, the, the more <laughs> revenue you can you can make, basically. Is that also your play, or what is your strategic play there? Going IPO or targeting for an acquisition one day?
0: No, I, we want to IPO it one day. I, I, I think, you know the only thing that matters is that we build a product that actually helps people. And if we do a good job with that, then they were willing to pay for it. And if, if they're willing to pay for it and sufficient enough people do that, that gives us the option to, you know, go public, for example. But, um, and and, and so, yeah, that that is that is what I hope to do. But like, that does not make us a successful company in of itself. Um, but it would be nice, uh, nice to do that. But like above all, we just want to build something that is really, really great. Like, because... Whether we would fail today or whether we fail when we're IPO'd, it would be very painful for a lot of people. Um, and I'm not talking about me. I'm not even talking about the people that work for us, but especially the people that we serve and that we run payroll for.
1: Is that also how you would measure success by the the product or the, the users that you have? Or how would you measure success for remote.com?
0: For me, it is, for me personally, it is, Uh, whether i see my vision realized which we're not even close to whether um, i think externally it is you know how much profit we make right like or how successful we are in the public markets um so
1: and what's your personal vision where you're not even close yet if you're open to share
0: i i want to get to the point you know i I have a long-term expanded vision but even if we're just like narrow it down to the things that we're doing today i want to get to the point where it is so easy and so smooth and there's no human intervention at all which would allow us to like significantly reduce um uh, costs as well and pricing as well um and, and we're not there yet and, and nobody is I, I, like and a lot of things have to change in the world outside of remote to get to that point and we're pushing hard on those things but yeah for it to be super easy transparent and quick to hire people anywhere yeah that would be nice
1: perfect There's one last point that I would like to talk about when it comes to challenges of a very rapidly growing company. You briefly touched upon it that your role, of course, also as a founder and CEO completely changes once you go from 20, 25 people to, you know, thousands of employees, basically. So what are some of the biggest changes that you also as a CEO and and founder had to go through and to develop over the time to to grow rapidly with the company, not have a growing company, but not growing with it?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think um, fundamentally your job is the same, uh, which is you just have to do what is best for the company, right? Um, I think as the company grows, it's important to realize that how you do that can really change. In some ways it really changes because... You know, hiring is always a really important part of your job, but once you have, like, a pretty good executive team, maybe the best use of your time is no longer by being in the weeds yourself, because you supposedly hired people that are much better than you, um, and so you should spend much more time on making sure that the team is supported, that gets the right balance between, you know, pressure and support and, and coaching, um, and making really clear what it is, that what is the kind of company you want to build, and what is the vision you have for it, and what is the direction we have to take, rather than what color should our you know login button be? Because you have people that, that can do that for you. Um, I, you know, from a high level, that's like sort of where you have to go. Um, I think. I think you're forgiven of a lot of inexperience when the company is small. Um, when a company becomes bigger, you have to grow up in the sense of really understanding every aspect of the company really, really well, right? Every founder starts out being strong in something, being a strong engineer, being a strong salesperson, being a strong marketer. But as the company gets big, you are expected as a CEO to speak to all of those things with knowledge, with like a deep understanding of all of those areas. And so um, that is definitely something where you have to, you have to grow up. You can no longer say to yourself, well, you know, I leave that up to other people. No, because you can challenge someone that reports up to you if you don't deeply understand what they are doing. And you don't have to be better, right? Like you don't have to be a better salesperson or better understanding the, the sales motion than the CRO, but you should understand understand it much better than most people so that you can challenge that person as well. And you can get them to excel by, you know, challenging their assumptions. Um and that that is something that you have to learn over time. And 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 to get to that point, you have to you know, seek ways to get more understanding of that whether it is, you know, having, talking with other people or whatever, reading books or whatever
1: Right, yeah That's, yeah, a a, a strong learning curve and growth curve also on a personal level to, you know, stay on top of the game I think so, yeah Now, between 2021 and 22 your team, I think, grew about 900% itself, so that's like a crazy number um, it seems like Sky really is the limit for you. So, where are you headed next with your remote? What is like your plan for the future?
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I think in my head, you know, the, the things that I'm most excited about are not you know growing our headcount significantly. I think the most excited the things I'm most excited about are you know becoming operationally much more efficient, which is something we've been doing, of course, since we founded, building more products um and. Uh, and just continue to scale the company, you know, scale it responsibly, not just by a growing headcount nine hundred percent. I think in the end, what I really care about is the impact that we make, and the better we run operationally as a business, the greater that impact will be at low risk to everybody else. And so, uh, yeah, that that that's really where I want to go in the most abstract sense.
1: I like that. To wrap up the episode, we have some rapid fire questions prepared for you, so I either give you a short question or different options to choose from, and you have to answer in one sentence. Are you ready?: Sure. Yeah. So the first one is, what is your favorite country to work remotely from?: Vanillas. Do you prefer to solve your own problem or tackle just any problem?: Any. When was the last time that you changed your mind on something?
0: No, no. right before this call, probably. (laughs)
1: Okay. And how long does it take you to give up on something?
0: Infinity. I I don't give up on things. If I want to do something, I'll do it.
1: That's the core message that you really pictured today. Yeah. And yeah, the last one, the Netherlands, Portugal, or the United States?
0: Oh, the Netherlands. Yeah. Clear choice. Why? Why? It's uh, it's one of the best organized countries. It's like um, it, it's ma- it's a country made for humans. It's not a country made for cars. It's not a country that is still setting itself up and figuring itself out, which is Portugal. It's a country made for, for humans. It's safe. It's easy to get around. Um, it, it, everything is here. It's a, it's a very nice place to live.
1: Fantastic. Job, thank you so much for coming on this show. Lots of success and all the best for the future and continue delivering this awesome product that we are ourselves very happily using thank you so much for that
0: thanks for having me we hope you enjoyed today's episode if you did you can support us by rating our show on apple Podcasts. this way we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs